Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Friday. You made it to the end. Believe me, I'm surprised you hung around this long, too. My name is Steve Dace. His name is Todd Erzin. His name is Aaron McIntyre. Easy for me to say. Her name is Jill Savage, Blaze TV contributor. She'll be joining us here. Un momento. A little Spanglish for you on a Friday. Feeling very diversified. She'll be joining us un momento for a little of the Dace group coming your way here in a matter of moments. Next hour, we'll get to what you think on a Feedback Friday. I think you need to make sure to check out our friends at Jace Medical while you still have the chance. They have expanded their repertoire. So remember, they originally gave us the Jace case of venerable antibiotics so that the next time we had a <clears throat> emergency that they just decided in the midst of this emergency to deny you the very medications you needed. That's where the Jace case came in. Well, now they want to make preparedness a permanent thing right now. Um, it's called Jace Daily. It's a prescription supply service that allows you to get up to a 12-month backup supply of your prescription medication in case of uh, emergency. And this is a wide range of medications, everything from diabetes, heart health, blood pressure, even mental health, and more. If you want the peace of mind of knowing you are prepared for a year concurrently, Every time they try to do this to us, or for the next time they try to do this to us. Go to jacemedical.com, get your long-term supply of your vital medications at Jace Medical. J as in jump at this right this moment, please. J-A-S-E, J-A-S-E, jacemedical.com, and then enter the code DACE at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code DACE at jacemedical.com. And with that, it is time for the day screen. Your weekly look at the week that was begins, as it always does, with issue one, Bleep Lord Nefarious Says. He's going to devastate our economy. Tourism, construction, agriculture. I mean, you're going to have vegetables rotting in the fields. You're going to have construction sites that will lie dormant uh, or certainly will struggle to get workers to be able to, uh, to, to, to help make sure that they can make progress. The tourism, is it, tourism and restaurant industry in particular you know, rely on, the, on these workers. To stand up against the poison of white supremacy as I did my inaugural address to a single out as the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. We have our daughter transitioned socially when she was five years old. So the vast majority of transition is social. It is allowing children to be able to show the rest of the world who they are on the inside. Well, my daughter will not have access to the healthcare that we know is life-saving, medically necessary, best practice care. Uh, our, our government has decided that they know better than the American medical establishment.
his friend a she or a he? I don't know. They're just a friend. Everything okay, Fred? Well, the last time I saw my grandma, I used a different name and pronouns. Now grandma doesn't know I've changed. She still thinks I'm her granddaughter instead of her grand... Fred. My pronouns are they, them. Thanks. I'm she, they, but you already know that. <laughs> I know I'm safe when I'm with my friends or other non-binary people. Non-binary? People who aren't female or male. <laughs> In the terrorism context, domestic violent extremism is uh, our greatest threat uh, right now. We have like another hour and 55 minutes, right? Because I'm about tapped right now. I, I am seriously about tapped right this minute. Let's have can the chick you, talk. Can you speak? You know let, let's, let's, let's do what most guys do today. I was going to say completely, completely back away. <laughs> And just put it on her. All right, so you're up, Jill. Go ahead. What was the most vomitous odor that you just inhaled? Uh, it's going to be all of the above. Uh, I remember the Carrie Lake War Room saying that the cultural issues don't matter. We have, you know, World War III and borders and everything else to look forward to. Uh, no, guys, when you watch this video, you see that the cultural issues matter because they are attacking the children, they are going in there and putting this filth in children TV shows on purpose. And you guys, I have worse news for you than even just watching that right now. Oh, by all means. It's, it's May. Just wait until Pride Month in June to see what they unleash, right? We already see the Ford commercial coming out and saying, this is what tough looks like now. After Bud Light, we, we see the the swimming suits with a, with a man in a female swimming suit, guys, you aren't fooling anyone. We know we know what this is. And the point is not to fool anyone. They want this out there and to normalize this. I can't believe that it is going to get worse, but mentally I know that it is because in just a you know number of days, we turn the calendar over to June and they will unleash a whole new brand of marketing onto us. The Aaron's montages are going to be worse. But I do want to touch on what Joe Biden was saying and white supremacy. And that is, you know, the, the worst thing that we could find. So he's gone from calling MAGA Republicans a threat to democracy here in the nation to now saying that white supremacy is this. And we, we've seen them target Catholics. If you go to a school board meeting, I mean, Todd is just checking off all of the boxes. He has to be on so many watch lists. Come at, at me, point. bro. But, he has to be like, as I kept reading that, I was like, are, are they just making a list for daughters and are they really just trying to attack him? Uh, but you look at this and it's like, OK, I thought I thought we could get a little bit beyond some of these talking points now, but they're bringing them back in with the white supremacy and making sure that you as a white male specifically are the worst, most vile thing in this country. And if you could only be non-binary, like they said in that in that children's program, Oh, we would be such a much better nation going forward. Jill, you pointing out that it's going to get even worse. Is this what I do to people? Because my <laughs> yes. immediate reaction listening to you say this was, Jill, we can't thank you enough for your time today. Okay. Because that month has become beyond obnoxious, beyond obnoxious. 
So it, she's right. If we are here in May, yeah, this what what in the literal hell mm-hmm. is going to happen when we hit when it hits June? Seriously, if we could, are we, we going to have Oreos? Loves does something for Pride Month every month, right? So will Oreos only give us half of a cookie for Pride Month? Uh, Oreo bottoms, only half of the cookie. Why am I giving them ideas? Stop talking, Todd. Go. I told you once you believe that this transgender stuff, all, all bets are off. All all your predictive value as uh, an educated American, you the only education that really matters is uh, spiritual at this point. But I mean, you know what? Uh, I I got a side hustle for millstones, so you know what I think about all that stuff already. A side hustle for millstones. Call me, call me. <laughs> uh, I'm not kidding. The uh, I'll just go to the very first clip. The, all of that stuff that uh, what's her face? Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Yes, De- Jerry Curl. Yeah, we we must have non-white skinned yes. people perform the menial tasks you, that we are too good to do. You've, yes, you've brilliantly already covered the racial angle of this. I have a different angle uh, on this. Everything she just said about the things that we must keep going. And there are multiple things in there. Otherwise, we will become destitute and all will be lost. Are the very things that two seconds ago during COVID and lockdowns that she was saying must be stopped. Must be stopped or we all die. Uh, Nothing is serious. All is the show. There's never... There's never any balance in their uh, assertions on the left. The every everything is dialed up to eleven, and instead of being farcical a long time ago as it should have been, it continues to work. But it because it just scares all you normies who just somehow think you can be Neo and dance through the bullets. Never gonna happen. Never. Aaron. Yeah, my worst of this montage was going to be what Jill pointed out, that we're only in May. And it seems like every month now has at least one or two days dedicated to the rainbow flag, one of the colors or multiple colors of the rainbow. It's the national religion. It is the national religion. What we're seeing here, I think the State Department and the White House and NATO and NATO put out a statement this week commemorating a day of homophobia and transphobia <laughs> awareness this is called home <laughs> guys this is called homoglobia this is the colonization for the sake of the rainbow flag this is this is ideological colonization they're trying to export this uh, this religion around the world it's easy to see what it is so yeah that's the worst of the worst is this one of the worst montages we've ever, we've had in a while? Or do we just say that about every two or three weeks? Yes. I can't remember the last time I didn't say 10. Can't remember. I mean, that was a, that was a brutal watch. Let's get to the exit question. On a scale of 1 to 10. 10. <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
on a scale of one to ten, with one being how often Lindsey Graham notices a pretty girl, and ten being how often he dresses up like one. Rake, this week's level of total depravity, Jill. Ten. Aaron. Ten. Todd. Ten. Issue two. Trump and pro-lifers. It's complicated. The man who overturned Roe v. Wade with the unwitting help of Mitch McConnell and Ruth Bader Ginsburg has been adamant since the 2022 midterms that Republicans need to moderate on the issue of baby killing. This week, however, Trump came out with a statement on Truth Social touting his pro-life bona fides. Quote, after 50 years of failure with nobody coming even close, I was able to kill Roe v. Wade, much to the shock of everyone, and for the first time put the pro-life movement in a strong negotiating position over the radicals that are willing to kill babies even into their ninth month and beyond. Without me, there would be no six weeks, 10 weeks, 15 weeks, or whatever is finally agreed to. Without me, the pro-life movement would have just kept losing. Thank you, President Trump. His position on the issue remains clear as mud. My favorite part of that is thanking himself. I love that. <laughs> Snoochy booches. Thanking himself with all caps. That's crazy. Bob Dole. Thanks, Bob Dole. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not even sure to have a serious conversation about this. We're only we'll talking, do it live. We're only having. We're only discussing the dismemberment and piece by piece destruction um, of innocent human life. After all, I, I I I have I have just been. Steve is just about to walk out of here. I I am. I I I have I have been flabbergasted watching him with this issue for the last going on two weeks because I don't understand it. Now, everything he put in that truth social statement is actually true. I mean, I've been saying on this show the whole time he keeps broaching this subject, his position ought to be, uh, I I overturned, I, I, I took Roe versus Wade and uh, I punched it in the throat. Next question. That's my pro-life position. But I, but I don't understand negotiate. Who are we negotiating with? What's the negotiating position? None of this makes any sense. Not even in a Trumpian way does it make any sense. It doesn't. This idea that you're going to overturn Roe and, no. and, and come up with an alternative position that some swing voter who really cares about abortion is going to forget that you overturn Roe v. Wade and they're going to be like, you know what? You're going to give me an extra two to three weeks to kill my kid. I'm going to totally forget you overturn Roe. This person doesn't exist. That's why I wanted to do this topic. All right. Because there is wisdom in a multitude of counsel. The three of you are pretty smart. So what, what, what is this? This is one of the most bizarre things I've seen in my career. Is that if I've never seen someone go out of their way to self-own themselves on an issue that they had already won. And negotiate. In, in the past era, the Republicans would go up and negotiate against themselves. You know, like what they're doing with Biden now on the debt ceiling, what they did for eight years with Obama. Negotiate against themselves. This one's new. I've never heard of, we're going to negotiate after we won. That, that, the negotiation starts after we win. 
brilliant. I don't understand. We win and then we negotiate. Well, what? What am I missing, Todd? You seem convinced I am missing something. No, so I am I am eager and are. all ears, okay? Or as Lindsey Graham would say, I am all cheeks to know exactly what it is. He, he does not take no for an answer. He's the king of bankruptcy. He overcomes that. What, what was the Democratic death knell for him? We've just... Women, right? Yes. Yes. Well, independence yeah. and, and unmarried women. Yeah. Independence and He's, unmarried women in, hate his guts. How many times has he been married? Three. Is this his third? Okay. And how many women has he been with? You know, like he's not, he thinks he's the great enchanter. He, he, he believes he can win the women back. He just thinks he does. And, and listen, just to show that it's in the most insane of circumstances, just, we just ran tape of him being deposed and telling the woman questioning him, I wouldn't date you. I hope you mean no offense to that, but you're not my type. This is who he is. Embrace the weather. It comes and it goes. It has its highs and its lows. Now I'm rhyming like Dr. Seuss, but that's how you should view this. This is Donald Trump in full. We have no reason to expect otherwise. All right. I, I want to hear from all three of you before I react to anything you guys say. All right. So, Jill, let's go next to you. All right. You live there in red Tennessee, allegedly, but blue Nashville. Okay. Yes, allegedly, but blue Nashville. You also happen to be a young woman. Okay. So I would like you to draw me the composite of the Nashville resident that voted for Joe Biden in this last election. The Nashville woman who voted for Joe Biden in this last election. And now in this next one has, is going to decide after eight years of getting an, a, an up-close and personal view, a gratuitous pornographic view of whom Donald Trump is, they're going to decide, you know what, I thought his previous abortion position was extreme, but then he overturned Roe versus Wade, and I'm totally okay with it, because now he will let me kill my kid two to three weeks more than every other Republican will. Who Show me. You, you're in country music circles. You work in media. Show me who this voter is, Jill, please. Who is it? <laughs> Uh, I am holding up a blank piece of paper. The the entire list of people that that Steve is trying to say that didn't vote for Trump before that somehow are magically going to hear his his great glorious words come out of his mouth and say, "Oh my gosh, I never saw Trump like this in the first place." What was I missing the whole time? I wasn't going to vote for him in 2016, in 2020, but now 2024 Trump that is my guy. No, that voter doesn't exist. And I will say, Trump, I, I came on the show after Roe v. Wade was overturned and said that they, they, candidates don't do this for a reason. Politicians don't do this for a reason. Trump solved the problem. Candidates don't want to solve the problem. They want to run on issues that they can just keep saying their talking points over and over and over again. Because 2016 Trump, what did he say? He didn't state his views on abortion. What he said was, I am going to appoint judges that will overturn Roe v. Wade. That's mm -hmm. all he had to say. And to you know, many people's credit, in 2016, they said, that's going to be enough for me to go out there and and place trust in this man that I don't really know that much about, but I think that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And I think we can overturn Roe v. Wade. And that is how he got elected. Now he is running away from that position. And you just look at it and say, 
Okay, but you were the president before. You can't say I don't have a position on abortion. You are the guy that overturned Roe v. Wade. You, by good or by bad, depending on how people are going to look at it, you have to own that position. And to not own it makes you look like such a coward, like you don't know what you're doing. It, it looks so inferior, right? And this is where you're saying this is the most opposite of Trump, who is just everything that I say is right, just stick behind it. Well, if everything that you say and everything that you do is right, then why isn't this position, which is your base, why isn't that right? Why can't that be good enough? You can't run a general election strategy before you're even the Republican candidate in the primary. And and you look at it and say, okay, well, this is opening the door for a Ron DeSantis. The fact that he's coming into the state of Iowa where Kim Reynolds and Ron DeSantis have the same laws in place, you gotta look at, at, the, at where you're starting first because something that might help you a year from now is definitely going to hurt you in the next couple of months that are going to matter the most for your campaign right now because you aren't guaranteed that you'll be the guy a year from now. Aaron, what do you think? I think I might have found a voter, actually. Uh, this is Shelly in Maricopa County, Arizona. Oh, so you know she's legit. Yeah. Uh, Shelly in Maricopa uh, voted for Katie Hobbs and Joe Biden. Uh, wrote this uh, this week. She said, um, I was really on the fence about voting for the literal Nazi insurrectionist who overturned Roe. <laughs> But then, after seeing a random Republican lose in a random mayoral race 2,000 miles away, I'm fully on board the Trump train, and he can grab me by the wherever. How many times did she blink? a graph. Whoops. How many times did she blink? Uh, none. None? I just, That's not a real person? I made, okay. made Shelly up. This, I, I don't know what they're doing. I, I think... If I had to guess, they are behave based on the way they are behaving in 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 the Trump world. I think they regret that Roe v. Wade was overturned. That's the way they are behaving. Because now they can't pa- can't campaign for better judges. They have mm-hmm. to campaign on action or depress their own base by showing the real nebulous nebulous unquantifiable standard basically am i way off base for thinking that that's the way they're behaving because and and i'm saying that too because that's the way the republican party has behaved up until five minutes ago my entire life and as we've said many times on this show and chronicled trump does not break paradigms he just breaks norms yeah that but that so it's the same paradigm it's what our president gaston uh talks about uh, when he worked on capitol hill this is big baby they this was this is their lifeline now they actually got to do something and i'm not sure that they're really prepared to do that well i did see trump confidant dick morris many years ago once said uh that if roe v wade was overturned republicans would lose you know like about seventy uh, percent uh, of the Catholic vote overnight, so he may, they might not want Roe v. Wade overturned. So, those are Dick Morris's words many many years ago. Here's the thing that I think is an important corollary to this: if this was an isolated incident, it would still not. I would I, I, to me, it, it still would be a loser conversation because you're talking about sacrificing people you need to vote in order to try to reach people that you may not ever get to get to vote. I mean, that doesn't that, that that's that's a loser proposition. Ask President Mitt McCain how well that works. It doesn't work. 
Here's the thing, though, and this is where I want to go back to you, Todd. It is not an isolated thing. He has been going after pro-lifers since the last election. Mm-hmm. He went after pro-lifers after the, in the midterm, said that we were the reason that Republicans lost the midterms. We got a row overturned and then we never showed up. That's not true. Republicans showed up massively in the last election. It's just not true, guys. I mean, Republicans won the generic, the generic congressional ballot. And by a couple of points, it's not true that Republicans did not show up. What is true is that for the third election in a row since Donald Trump ascended, Republicans hemorrhaged independent voters. That is true. Now, independent voters don't much care for Mitch McConnell and John Cornyn and most of the other people that are the face of the Republican Party either. But the bottom line is in the last three election cycles, 2018, 2020, 2022, Republicans in all three of those cycles, three in a row now, lost independent voters and as a result have lost a net eight governorships, a net 22 House seats and a net three Senate seats. That's the truth. They didn't have a base turnout problem in the last election at all. They lost independence. That's not true. And so he immediately pivoted to blaming his own base for a disappointing performance in this election. This has been this is this this seems like a coordinated effort to diminish the influence of or or take on the influence of pro-lifers within the Republican Party. By the way, one of the staunchest uh, 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 loyalists of President Trump. Um, is uh, oh, what's his nuts? The guy that they swatted his house ridiculously in the middle of the night. The FBI, whom I think of Stone. Roger Stone, Roger Stone, and his and 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 helped lead a fight many many years ago to have the pro life plank taken out of the Republican Party platform. Remember? I mean, they. I mean, this was this went on throughout much of the eighties and nineties. So it's not just. Hey, I'm scared. I might be the nominee again, and I don't want to hemorrhage unmarried women again. He went after pro-lifers in the aftermath of the last election and, and blamed you for something that was not your fault. You showed up in droves. So this, is, this has been a coordinated event now for several months. So, Todd, now, what are your thoughts? Really quick. I don't You're You're making an entirely separate argument. He's, either way, though, he's... He's pivoting to a blame game that he's comfortable with and in an approach to overcome what he sees as the hurdles, which he's always been comfortable with, skirt chasing. Like, this is, there's nothing new here, guys. This is the enigma of Donald Trump. It's the reason we didn't rally around him the first time. It's the same exact Guy, I've told you I will not come off off this mountain. I'm not going to. Being confused by him is a waste of time. Roger, and it was his ex-wife, Ann Stone. They were uh, proponents of removing the pro-life stuff from the national. Didn't I say they were swingers? Didn't I see this morning they were swingers, too? That I I don't know. Just charming. Charming people. Let's get to the exit question. Do you know who Perry Johnson is, Aaron? I do. You do? Yeah, because I okay, got go ahead. mailers from it. Not, not just mailers. He's sending people books. The two penny thing. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm getting texts from this guy constantly. I get, I'm getting mailers from him constantly. He looks like a game show host. I don't know who he is. Says he's a Michigan businessman, but I, I don't know who he is. He looks like his name is Perry. I'm sorry. <laughs> there is a certain like Wink Martindale kind of a thing. Yes. Do, do you know, Jill, who Perry Johnson is? 
No, and hashtag blessed. I'm not on any uh, text threads from him yet. So now they'll they'll have to look up my info. And I think these are robo text. I, I think they're yeah, robo text actually. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm I'm glad that I'm not on there because I'm on you know all the all the other ones. They all I don't know they, these robo texts. They all just get your number and then they spam you indefinitely forever. I don't get any of these. My you wife don't. gets them all the time. I don't get any of these. See, you, I got I'm not one. even a registered Republican, and I get all this stuff now again. I, got, I think it's because I gave money to Ron Johnson. I gave him a big donation. And ever since then, I think I got on every list again last, now, even though I'm a registered independent. Last year, I got a random text on behalf of, I can't even remember her name, the the Democrat gubernatorial candidate here in Iowa. And it I was literally don't remember her a name. a live person uh, that I was talking to, so I had some fun with that. But that's about the only experience in the last few years. Do you know anything about this guy? Just the two penny thing. And what's the two penny thing? What is that? It's his two cents. Yeah, two cents to save America. But, you know, it's like yeah. another flat, you know, just like the another nine 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 kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's something like that, okay. which I think is every time you can only imagine when Mitch McConnell sees it. That's adorable. <laughs> on the other hand, whatever he's doing is working. He just got four minutes of free airtime on one of the largest platforms on the American right. So. Props to Perry Johnson. Money well spent, I guess. I will come back. The next topic won't be all that inspiring either. Stay tuned. A lot of you have had it. You are eager and willing to take part in the parallel economy. Unfortunately, it's going to take some time for it to fully emerge. Thankfully, though, one place where it already has is with one product that all of us must use here in modern America. That's our mobile phones and our friends at Patriot Mobile are the industry leader there as America's only American mobile phone company. If you're a veteran or first responder, you want to make the switch today, let them know. They've got extra ways to thank you for your service. For the rest of us, here's one of the key things. they got an outstanding customer service team. And one of the things you get as a member of Patriot Mobile is the opportunity to switch to all three major networks whenever you need to for free. So if you move to another part of the country, another part of your community where one signal is weaker uh, than another and you do a lot of business there or that's where you're going to be living now, you can make the switch to any of the three major networks anytime you want for free with our friends at Patriot Mobile. Just one of the great customer service products that they offer you via Patriot Mobile. Make the switch today. Get a free activation with when you do with the offer code Steve. Free activation with the offer code Steve at PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. Or you can call them at 878-PATRIOT. Once again, that is 878-PATRIOT. Welcome back, Blaze TV contributor Jill Savage, as we continue on with your weekly look at the week that was. Issue three, Mene, Mene, Tekil Aparson. Here's a graph shared by an account on Twitter called The Rabbit Hole, based on information from the CDC. And this graph shows the trend in U.S. birth rates from 1980 to 2020. It shows the birth rate has declined by 20% since 2007. 
Community notes on Twitter got a hold of this post and commented, quote, while the exact drivers of the decline are open for debate, researchers have proposed many demographic, economic or policy explanations, including greater access to birth control and contraception, the 2008 recession, migration and women pursuing education. Or, as Steve pointed out, Romans 1. Is it possible, Aaron, I'll start with you. Is it possible that we could be living in America's terminal generation? Hell yeah. Yeah. I said the other day, and might have been just yesterday, it's a direct line between sexual perversion, or at least the unmooring of morality from sexuality, to child sacrifice, to slavery. We see all three of these things. Debbie Wasserman Schultz just and uh, Hank Johnson recently just checked off the last uh, the, the last item there. You don't just get to break the laws of nature and disrespect nature's God and get away for it, get away with it for too long. The next chapter in the book, the first chapter in the book that we're reviewing on, uh, on Theology Thursday. We'll deal with, with what happens when that happens. When you just walk away from the underpinnings of the laws of nature and nature's God. You don't just get to shake your fist at the Almighty or pay no heed to him whatsoever and get away with it. The laws of sowing and reaping are undefeated. The tragic irony that we're faced with now, though, is because this country, because of its founding, because of the heritage that we have enjoyed and that it enjoyed for so long, paved the way for immense amount of wealth and comfort. I said recently as well, this country has just been a grift. We're just grifting off of that heritage. We have been for a long time. Now we're just waiting for... When does the grift train stop? Hmm. It's train circling. Jill, same question to you. What do you think? Uh, yeah, this could be the the terminal end of the United States when you look at everything that's going on. But I, I will look at this from an economic standpoint for that graph. And they did mention the 2008 crisis. Uh, if you're familiar with the fourth turning, it coincides with everything right in there. So we entered into the crisis phase of the fourth turning in 2008. It's something that is a line marker that everything before it and everything after it are completely different in, in perspective. And 2008, the financial crisis fit that definition. Then you have a period of relative calm before the catalyst really comes in and you are full-fledged on for like the next 10 years or so before you get out of it and enter into a post-war high. That's where we got the baby boom generation the last time around. So, you know, there could be hope here that we could get out of this and get into another baby boom generation. I just don't know that I would say, oh yeah, America is going to make it out of this better than it has been before mm -hmm. that that's where i look at it and say is is this actually going is it possible yes of course it's possible 
do I think that America, with, with everything that is going on, with, with the leadership that we have in place, with the way that we are trying to purge the military of good, active young men and, and try and say, hey, but what if this, if this colonel breaks up with his boyfriend, then what is his mental state like? Jesse Kelly just tweeted that out from a current Marine Corps written test. Right, like what? What are we doing to ourselves on any given level? We saw in Aaron's montage at the beginning of the show the children's programs. Now we're we're going to trans all the kids, and that's that's an emphasis going forward. So why would you, if you're if you're somebody looking at this, saying, okay, the financial situation, millennials can't buy homes, and if if you went out there and said, oh, okay, even if I could afford to have the children. Is this the society that I want to bring them in? Now, hopefully, there are enough people out there that are saying, "Hey, I can, I can reproduce and, and make my children, you know, not like the rest of them." But you have to have the awareness to be able to say, like, homeschool your kids, find a good school for them to go to. The the, the list of things that is going on right now, like going forward, you are you going to be able to send your children to school at all? Right? You can't you can't do that now. What's it going to be like when all of the, the good teachers that are around retire and that's all you have left is the wackos that they're putting through college right now? You're right. We have seen dips. We saw them during the Great Depression. We saw them in the 70s during the oil crisis. So if 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 we were just going to make that tie-in, then that would make some sense. The problem is it's it's the yeah, it's the same conversation we we're just having with Trump on the life issue. It's not just trying to, you know, create a magic bullet theory of a position that's just not achievable. It comes on the heels in the in the same context of him blaming pro-lifers for an an election loss that was not their fault. Similarly, you have to look at the context of these numbers are declining. Yes, you could say, fine, they're in association with the recession. We never fully came out of it. Right about the time Trump was about to bring us fully out of it, COVID hits. Fine. The problem is every other societal marker looks similar. And you didn't see that in, during the Great Depression. You didn't see that in the 70s mm-hmm. during the oil crisis. Okay. Every other... Th- so it's not just a direct correlation and causation here with an economic downturn or economic uncertainty. Every other societal marker is, is, is mm-hmm. pointed in the wrong direction. So what do you think of that, Todd? Well, you uh, remind me of that scene in the, the movie, underrated movie, The Fifth Element, where the fifth element herself, played by Mia Jovovich or whatever, but she like... She downloads all of history to learn, and she just sees a lot of horror, and it kind of breaks her. Well, we've talked about on this show, like 20 years ago, if we would have seen just our montage from today, what would our reaction be to that? And it'd been like, there, they, they, it must be civil war, fighting in the streets. Mm-hmm. No. No, it's just like, can we just, just people constantly, you know, trying to feng shui reality into, you know, some version of comfort, pretending that doesn't exist. See, look, if you're honest, we live in a dystopia right now. Now, is the soundtrack to the dystopia, is it somber? Or... Is it the soundtrack from Idiocracy? And if we're honest with ourselves again, 
It's idiocracy. We're not, we're not serious. We fell into dystopia many times in human history before. But we didn't have the laugh track. We're living in a dystopian sitcom right now. And that's why I think that uh, the point about the fourth turning and whether this is the last one, well, we might get it. There were two authors of that book. One is dead now. The one who's still living is coming out with the sequel. It's coming out here in the next couple months, mm. and I will try to get him on the show. I can't remember either one of their names. Neil Howe. Yeah, he may have an answer. What was that again? Say that again, Jill. Neil Howe. That's right. H-O-W-E. All right, thank you. But we may have an answer to that, but there's something gravitational, like this like uh thanos pulling the moon out of the sky mm -hmm. it's that's what we need to alter the course that we're on because we are hurtling towards the end let's get to the exit question a romans one b manage decay c overreaction aaron a <clears throat> jill a todd it's a with a side of b there's some of that going on <laughs> They just well, don't. The, the, spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Yeah. Indeed, yes. Nothing like a little managed decay to really top off a dish. Indeed. <laughs> All right, let's get to the final our, the our kicker top. Crumbs on top. What was that? They're just the the managed decay is the breadcrumbs on top. Yes, yes, indeed. The frosting on the cake. You're right. Um, if you could reverse one trend line in this culture, what trend line would it be, and why, Jill? Uh, I would say one going back to church because that's going to be the the biggest thing. Um, but two, the the information. I know you only said one, but also if people aren't communicating with each other, um, if you haven't watched the overtime yesterday, it was Anna's first one. Go watch it. But just the the fact that people aren't communicating with each other. So if even if we get people going back to church, if we can't talk to each other like a normal civilization, what are we all doing? Todd, what about you? It's the transgender <clears throat> stuff. We have we have no hope. I mean, we, we are butchering uh, children right now, and we uh, the, the foundation of civilization was uh, male and female. But we if we can't get that right, it nothing matters. Aaron. Yeah, I think even more fundamentally than that, this is cheating. But since nobody said it, I mean, it's baby killing. I mean, reverse that trend line. To in, into the ether. I don't want to Jesus juke everybody when I do this, but I'm going to go with the with the biblical worldview trend line. Because even going back to what Jill just said, uh, people going back to church. Yeah, I mean, I, I I agree. It's just I'm not entirely sold that just. A mass migration back into the church, given the current state of said church, will mm -hmm. will create the desired result. I, I think the, I mean, look what look what the church has done for a generation with the people that are going. I I think um, a taking the church taking a biblical worldview seriously, in terms of discipleship and catechesis, I think is. The trend line I would reverse because it solves the problem no matter how this turns out. All right. If we're all just overreacting and um, things inevitably turn around to some degree. OK, um, you're, we, we still are better equipping 
believers to live out their faith in the world. If you guys aren't overreacting, or it's even as bad as Todd saying, uh, Romans 1 with a side of managed decay, then you are prepping believers for what it means to live in a truly post-Christian era into an amoral, a-Christian, unchristian culture, and for the kinds of challenges and persecutions that are associated with that. To me, it's a win either way. You win whichever road uh, path that we are on here, the, the, you are prepared either way for them. And I, I just, I look around a lot of churches and I, I just see, a, a, sadly, a lot of believers that I think are not really prepared for what's here and even more so for what is coming. Let's get to predictions, Todd. I'll let you go first. Go. Uh, LeBron James is going to retire at the end of this year. So you don't think he's going to hang around long enough to play with Bronny? That's, he's always said that's his goal, to play long enough to play with his son. So, um, so that would be two more years, right, Jill? Two more years I think he has to play, right? Uh, yeah, I think that's what it is. Okay. Yeah, I think I, th- I think he might be done. That performance think, last night, that, yeah. that flop performance, though, that's oh. the best acting I've seen this year other than oh, Sean Patrick Flannery. There was the many things. He, he had a crucial turnover, missed a slam dunk, got picked at the end. Um, listen, if, if he wants to make it all the easier on people that Michael Jordan is the greatest as he's not, he can keep playing because he's – and, and then that – he flopped so badly that Jokic turned it on him and, and flopped himself and got – I mean, it's – I, I think be done. Okay. Aaron. Just the cosmic irony alone. Um, I believe if not this year, then next year, Joe Biden will sign a budget that in some way, shape or form cuts entitlements. Okay. That would be something. Of course, he probably wouldn't realize what he signed. No. Jill. Uh, reports are surfacing that a presidential candidate will announce in the next couple of weeks, and that, of course, is Chris Christie. And my <laughs> prediction is that tens of people will be excited about this announcement, and it will get entirely too much TV coverage. All I know is I desperately needed the story of Trump sending Chris Christie on midnight McNugget runs to be true, and it turned out that it wasn't true, and I'm, I don't know that I can move past that, frankly. I just I needed that. I needed that story to be true. Uh, my prediction is also presidential politic related. By Halloween, there will only be three candidates in the GOP presidential race. Trump, DeSantis, and Ramaswamy. Those will be the only three candidates by Halloween. Your thoughts? <laughs> you keep trying to predict this stuff. That's fantastic. Oh, man. Did, did, did we just got to you, you're the one who just asked the question who's Perry Johnson I don't think we're going to be asking that question much longer though I don't I just is that your two cents <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there very nice very well played I like it alright thank you Jill as always good to see you alright take care you too have a good weekend guys All right, you too I've still got him in the race. I'm, everybody else operates they're out called, of some form of convention. They're it, done. It, they're not raising any money. They're, they're gonna, out of here. Aren't they going to be in as long as DeSantis is relevant because th- this is a stalking horse? I mean, they're trying to... They're all... He's not even in the race, and they're all about him. So if he's in the race, aren't they going to stay in just to be all about him? I guess that's... We'll find that out. Yeah. Okay. We'll find that out. All right. We'll come back. It'll be time. For Feedback Friday, when we do, don't miss it. Stay tuned.
right, back here with Hour 2 here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Steve Dace here alongside Aaron McIntyre and Todd Erzin. Feedback Friday coming your way in a moment. First, a reminder, you can let us know what you think about what we think by emailing the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe, and Gab. You can follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, Getter, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can find me on Truth Social if you look very hard. Uh, real Steve Dace at real Steve Dace there. If you listen to the podcast, it would be really helpful and appreciative if you wouldn't mind uh, leaving us a five star review, hitting subscribe or follow. And thank you to all of you that have done those things for us already. We appreciate each and every one of them. This part of the show brought to you by our friends over at Relief Factor. Everyone deals with pain from time to time. Usually for two reasons. We're talking about physical pain here. Uh, we're usually for two reasons, clinical or chronic. So my wife, as we speak, is uh, getting ready to finally get have some arthroscopic surgery this afternoon to get the bone spurs out of her knee. So she's got a clinical condition with these bone spurs that requires professional medical attention. On the other hand, she now has to deal with the arthritis in her knee, the inflammation in her knee uh, from too much inflammation. And that's now where the chronic treatment comes in, something like Relief Factor. Uh, it is drug-free, though it was created by physicians who can prescribe drugs, and they are so confident in the formula that they have concocted here that they offer you a three-week quick start for just 20 bucks. You can't beat it. See, if you don't see a difference in your chronic pain in three weeks or less, and why do they do that? Because over the years, they have found about 70% of the people who take them up on this offer end up sticking around because of the results that they see. So if you want to test them for just 20 bucks, go to relieffactor.com. Again, that's relieffactor.com, or you can call them at 1-800-4-RELIEF. That's 800-4-RELIEF. Okay, um, we got a buy, sell, or hold this week on... Was this the greatest movie year of all yeah. time? And it was 1994, right? Yes. So as we begin Feedback Friday, one of our listeners, Ben, has taken this chat challenge, gentlemen. And he offers up three other nominees for greatest movie year of all time. 1982, E.T., which at the time was the number one grossing movie of all time. And would still rank if you adjusted it for inflation. I think it would still rank in the top five or so. Blade Runner, The Thing. You know, you know what I think of this next one. Star Trek to The Wrath of Khan. I mean, you know how much that movie's in my heart. I love that movie. Tron, Poltergeist, another Steven Spielberg film, by the way. Rocky Three, my favorite in the franchise with Mr. T. An officer and a gentleman. I've got nowhere else to go. And fast times at Ridgemont High. Obviously, we are not approving each of these films on a moral level, but just in terms of a box office year, do you think that rivals what he came up with in 1994? Mr. Hand. Uh, that's a good list. Overall, though, I think I'm sticking. Me too. With the okay. original. But it's not bad. I think, yeah. Same sentence. It's not shameless or yeah. anything like that. I'd... All right. Here's another one. Okay. 1999. The Matrix. Absolutely one of the best movies of that decade. Toy Story 2. Maybe the best movie of that franchise. Although that entire franchise 
to some degree lands. So it's kind of hard to pick a best one. The Iron Giant, never saw it. The Sixth Sense, that's a tremendous movie. Office Space, that's another movie that's... I love that movie. And The Green Mile. Um, American Beauty, which won the best picture for that year, which I absolutely hate that film. And The Talented Mr. Ripley. See, I think this doesn't even come close to 1994. As much as I love The Matrix, as much as I love Office Space, I don't think it even comes close. American Beauty, wasn't that the same year as... uh or is it the year before with um, Saving Private? You're thinking of uh, no, Shakespeare, Shakespeare and Love. No, Shakespeare Love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, yeah well, no, uh, not bad, but again, I'm sticking with the original. Yeah. I would say of those three, that's the third. That's the third. Okay. This one, this one I think may surpass it. And and when I, I should have thought of this off the top of my head when I said I couldn't come up with a year that rivals it. Okay. This one, this is the greatest year right here. And, I, and, and, I, and I'm just going to give you the first three, and I don't have to give you any more. Okay? The Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind, oh, I forgot yeah. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, yeah. all came out in 1939. Yeah. I mean, a, you just kind of stop right there. It's like the George Washington of, yes. of cinematic experiences. If you don't nail that, there's maybe not another. Arguably the greatest year. film of all time in Gone with the Wind. Arguably the greatest achievement in the history of cinema. To this day, I've talked about, you go back and watch that scene when Dorothy opens the yeah. door to Oz. That scene, man, still gets you in the feels now with the, with the cinematography and, and everything else we have at our disposal today. That, that scene still sticks the landing in what is it now, 80 years almost, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, and then Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, the movie that really made Jimmy Stewart one of the great stars in, in Hollywood history. I mean, just those three films, I think you just kind of stop right there and don't even look at the rest of the release catalog. Well, that's what I was thinking about when we saw the original list because I have gone back before and looked year by year at who was up for the Oscars. And there's just some years throughout all of movie history. You're like, I cannot believe all that happened in one year. And so I... I knew that there's years in the uh, 80s, the 70s. -hmm. My goodness. So, yeah, I think um, I I never thought for once that it was obviously true that that was the best movie year of all time. But uh, it was certainly a contender. And you just pulled another one. Aaron, your thoughts? Agreed. Yeah. And just like I said, if you at the dawn of, of color cinematography, if you don't nail that you know there may not be uh, as much of an appetite to go there as quickly uh the other two films mentioned mr smith goes to washington and gone with the wind you uh greatest film as you said of all time and one of the great actors of all time it's hard to supersede that i know there's fewer movies but they carry their own weight there and i think that has to be number one followed by 94 82 and 99 it's all the more tragic how many decades of greatness we're talking about in, in, in cinema. And right now, the Oscars is now... The, yeah. uh, Richard Dreyfus has commented on how they're putting in a yeah. diversity quotient for, to be eligible for the Oscars. He's right. This is vomitous. I, th- I have watched on YouTube um, old broadcast of the Oscars from the 70s. A few, from a few years. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to tell you. Again, these are all big libs, everything else, okay? That is another, yeah. that's another, I said, remember when I went home for Christmas 
for our Christmas break last year. And I said, Amy and I are watching all these compilations of Christmas commercials from the seventies, eighties and nineties. Okay. And how it just totally different country. I mean, just like yeah. that, that's another country. It just simply does not exist. Yes. And they had, they had, dude, deep throat was showing in cinemas. Mm-hmm. Wa- they had Watergate. They had, they had Iran Contra. They had the Iranian hostages. They had recessions, oh, gas yeah. lines. The idea that this was just some. It wasn't Nirvana. You know, no, no, I mean, they had, I mean, even they, some of the worst serial killers of all time come from right during this yes. era. Okay. But there was still this idea that some things had to be sacred. You know what I'm saying? That some things, some traditions and some things, you just, we, we just set aside the rot gut because of the magnitude of the occasion. And you can see that even well into the 90s watching these Christmas commercials. You see it on the Oscars as well. Like there's all kinds of moral depravity in that room as we speak. And who knows what the hell went on with these people after the ceremony was over. But there was a sense that while they were there, all right, and the nation watching that there was a there there was a call to that moment to to well as you like to say quoting from the uh, the Star Wars or the Star Trek remake from nineteen or from two thousand and nine I dare you to do yeah, better yeah. that we have to do better yes that we just have to be better and even if it's a mask even if it's not true given the audience we have kids are watching families are watching we have to be better than we are and just you can just tell right now as a society we've let go of the rope and just don't feel. It, it's it's it you know it's kind of the the broader I, ideal of whew, better make sure i watch what i say when i'm over at nan nan pop's house because she'll pop me in the nan nan you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. show me with i mean show me with a clothes with a clothing pin mm-hmm. like i'm still 12 years old yeah. if i drop that word at her house you know what i'm saying yeah there's just none of that anymore it's just completely shameless. Let me enter one more year because this might be the greatest decade of cinema. When you look at the, the films of the 1970s, but the problem is they're kind of all spread out throughout the decade. All right. But when, in, in terms of a singular decade, I don't oh. think there is a better decade than that one. But let me introduce one year. It's 1977. Okay. Here are the films that came out in 1977. Annie Hall, which before we knew what we knew about Woody Allen, this was his magnum opus. Okay. Best picture. Um, Star Wars. Uh, Smokey and the Bandit uh, came out in 1977. Um, I'm I'm still going here because there's more. I just got to remember where I found them on the release list here. Um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, Saturday Night Fever. And there's my Emin Otter's Jug Band Christmas. I mean, that's a, oh, that's, that's a pretty yeah, good that's list. Right of, yeah. that, that's a pretty good, and there's more, but you, to, to me, you've got it. If you don't land the first three, like what yeah. 1939 does, you're like not even on the list, right? Like when we went through that 1994 list, it was Forrest Gump. Um, and there was a couple of others on there that you just knew right away they're on mm-hmm. that list. Right. But I mean, that's. That's a triumvirate right there. If, if you know, you throw those three films in, and really four, because I mentioned Annie Hall as well. So I don't think I've seen any of those movies. Really? Yeah. You've never seen Star Wars? Oh, well, Star Wars, I've seen. Yeah, yeah but okay. the, any of the others. Any of the others? Yeah. Well, I can't stand Woody Allen movies. Couldn't stand them before. Certainly can't stand them now. Close Encounters of the Third Kind is an all-time classic, uh, and that's Steven Spielberg. That was his Jaws follow-up. And it's it's still a classic movie. Um, and what was the other one that I mentioned there? Close. Oh, Saturday Night Fever. Mm-hmm. You you may not have seen that movie, but you have heard it. Gotcha. I mean that that's 
that's maybe the first great movie soundtrack and that you know in terms of i think there's like three or four different number one songs that come off of that album bg's yeah and they might all be have end up have been some of the bg's all right uh let's continue on so that was a great note by ben really appreciated that um this one from steven he wants to know If you could go back to the hospital room the night that Zoe was born, when you were on your knees praying for Bush to win, what would you say to yourself about where we are as a country? Would you believe yourself and what would you do differently? So this actually wasn't the night that Zoe was born because she was born in July, but um, we had problems with her pregnancy the whole way through. And this was the first night that we realized that we were having pregnancy issues with her. And uh, Amy had to be under surveillance constantly. We had to check for her heartbeat and everything like every other day. She had to stop at the prenatal clinic. And so we were in the hospital on election night. Amy was admitted because all of a sudden we just couldn't find Zoe's heartbeat. And then we could and then we couldn't and we could so they wanted to just keep her you know overnight and that was election night and I was such a nervous wreck that Amy eventually sent me home and said I just I gotta get some sleep you're driving me nuts go home so I I went home and finished the election returns and waited for Florida and Ohio to determine the election and I was literally I'm a baby Christian I had just gotten converted in uh, September of 2003 at a promise keepers event so this is you know I'm barely a year and I'm on my knees, man, in my family room at our old house, praying that God would let Bush win to save America. So he, so that's the more accurate uh, scenario. Nevertheless, the questions I found fascinating. What would you say to yourself about where we are as a country? Would you believe yourself and what would you do differently? I, I just, I can't even imagine and this is why I picked this email. I don't know how to answer these questions. You know what comes to mind? Have you? I don't know what brand, what product they're selling, but there's a commercial out right now with Charles Barkley and a CGI young Charles Barkley. Have you mm-hmm. seen this? No. And they're sitting together on the couch, and the young Charles Barkley is all exuberant and talking to the old Charles Barkley. Oh man, I can't wait! All the titles uh, we're gonna win. Uh, and, he's, oh, and, he, gosh. and he goes, no, and, and and he starts to want to know, and then he goes, wait. Don't tell me. I want to be surprised. And Charles Barkley goes, oh, you're going to be surprised. <laughs> That's what this reminds me of. That's a great commercial. I got to be on the lookout for that one. Um, I, I don't, I, I, I mean, in 2004, I was still doing full-time sports talk radio here locally. I was filling in a few times a year on the Big Blow Torch when my radio mentor, Jan Michelson, would take some time off. This is how I and found you. Yeah, this was the year you it's and like, I who met. Who is this guy? This was the year you and I met. Actually, it was yeah. two thousand and four, uh, and a year or so later, I start really beginning the discipleship process seriously, and I ended up going to my management and telling him I maybe have one more year in, in me of, uh, and I mean this was a very successful sports talk radio show at very high ratings. They made a lot of money. And I just told him, I, I maybe have one more year left in me where I can do this because I'm starting to, my interest as I get older and with my, you know, conversion are broadening here. And I have a passion to talk about other things and I don't, you know, 
I'm already uh, stretching the boundaries of what sports talk talks about anyway, half of the year, because we don't have major league sports teams here and the Hawkeyes and Cyclones aren't doing anything in the off season. And I can't just sit here and talk about nothing. Mm -hmm. So I'm already talking about stuff aside from a traditional sports show, but I'm, I'm, I'm intellectually getting bored, honestly. You know, and if it doesn't work to move me over to WHO like you had always planned, then I might just have to go find something else to do. And I just told him that nothing personal. I'm just I want the audience to have a sports talk host and I'm not sure how much longer I want to be a sports talk host. And then uh, we made that switch in in 2006 and. uh, I, I cannot answer this question. I, I am discussing subject matter and topics I would have never envisioned. Never in a, in a, in a million years. And, and keep in mind when I took over in 2006 on news talk radio, I was very radical. I, I mean, I would go back and I would probably go back and listen to some of those shows now and think, Oh, you are naive. <laughs> and I would think that to myself in 2004, you are naive. And, um, a lot of times when these kinds of questions get asked, they are encouraging because they remind us with a broader perspective that things are not as urgent or dire as you may think they are in the moment. That's usually the case, right? Mm-hmm. This is not <laughs> one of those right. times. This is not one of those times. And I just, I mean, if, if, I can't even, I can't even articulate this. Like I can't even envision what I, what I, here's what I think I could have envisioned. That I would be doing a broader based show than just sports and more explicitly about, uh, with, with my faith more explicitly at the center of it. I, I don't know that I would have envisioned a biblical worldview show because I didn't have one of those yet myself. I was, I was a baby in the faith. And I would, it would really start about a year later that I would really start taking that discipleship process extremely seriously. But I could believe that we'd be doing some of the theological conversations we're having, the issues, conversations I never would have envisioned. And I don't know that I would go back and do anything differently. That does not mean, don't conflate that to mean I didn't make mistakes. I made plenty, plenty. Some of the biggest mistakes I made was just letting my anger and temper get the best of me, frankly. But frankly, most of the mistakes I made was being too trusting and making too many assumptions, particularly about our own people Mm -hmm. and our own leaders. And just stepping on rakes unintentionally, starting interviews that I had no intention going in that this was going to be some knock down, drag out fight and just start asking questions thinking that the people that have been doing this longer than me have answers. Can't be as simple that, um, you know, I've deciphered some code that the people that came before me for decades have not figured out. So there must be reasons why we don't do some things that just seem kind of, seems kind of obvious to me. Why, why, why don't we do them then? You know, I've always loved that scene in the movie, Dave, mm, where he brings Charles movie. Grodin in his, uh, yeah, his buddy to to and they open they order some sub sandwiches and just open up the books uh, like bratwurst. Yeah, is it bratwurst? bratwurst? Yeah, okay. And they're like, it can't be this simple. And they open up the books and yeah, it was it was that simple all yeah. along. 
They just didn't care. That, that's why I love Office Space, the brutal honesty mm-hmm. of that film. The brutal honesty. It's not that I'm lazy, Bob. It's that I just don't care. And uh, I, I think that I needed to learn those lessons in real time. I think that if I had started out knowing them, then I might have gone too far the other way and been too cynical. And um, I think I needed I think I needed to be hurt. I think I needed to be disappointed. I think I needed to witness things myself. And I think that helped prepare me for at times when maybe we've been ahead of the audience over the years. And I've, and I've got to remember, they've now got to witness things themselves. They've got to endure those things themselves. And, um, and so therefore, I don't know that I would do anything differently. So I, I, I don't, I would have never envisioned I'd be having some of the conversations I'm having right now. I don't think I'd do anything differently because I think I needed to learn all those lessons and experience all of those failures. And they helped to, it's, you know, Anna asked a question similar on three non-political questions about a a week or two ago. If you could go back, was it to her, your 18 year old self Mm -hmm. and do something, what would you, what advice would you give? Well, man, I've, I made a crap ton of mistakes, but I don't, I, I wouldn't want to learn from any mistakes that didn't lend me to lead to meeting my wife and having the family and the life that I have now. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that I'd go back and undo any of those mistakes. And that's why I tried to come up with one. The one I picked was don't let yourself go from being very athletic in high school to morbidly obese because the amount of time it would take for you to work that off and still keep trying to work it off. It, it just isn't worth it. And there's no gain from it, no benefit from it. It just, it's just a loss. That's the one, but that's not the only mistake I've made from the time I was 18 to 49. I have made a crap ton of them, but all the rest of them I tried to learn from and they helped to make me what I now am for better or for worse. And I think that kind of applies here. What do you guys think as it, as it applies to, you know, what your moment was where you thought it was as simple as this, then you got on the inside and realized it ain't as simple as that. Hmm. I, I would say one thing. You, maybe your assessment, I'm not saying your lived experience is incorrect, Steve, but the moment was urgent and dire in 2000 and 2004, just not for the reasons anybody thought. And we're seeing that now. Mm-hmm. We're seeing that now. Mm-hmm. I would say for me, my black pill moment was Goldman Sachs, was the Goldman Sachs guy in Indiana. You remember that? The guy with the massive space between his teeth. Yeah. yeah yelling Goldman Sachs at, at Ted at, Cruz. Yeah. At, at Ted Cruz. Yeah. It's like, what are we doing here? Like a caricature of what we thought the other side was. Yeah. And here's this guy in one of the reddest states in the country. And they were chanting that at Ted and Heidi Cruz at the GOP convention later that year. Yep. Yep. That was my, that was my black. Pill. By the way, the guy who was advising uh, Donald Trump who's been right about quite a bit over the years, if we're being brutally honest, Steve Bannon, where did he used to work? Can Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs. I used to work there too. What about you, Todd? Well, formative for me, well, after working at the uh, Des Moines Register, is that, and then when I covered the uh, floods in 2008 and, and got uh, arrested, and the the way th- i mean it was worse than i had even uh thought i mean my 
my career was constantly, you know, kept in a corner. Uh, I was I was being leapfrogged all the time and advancement by uh, younger uh, people because I was simply too an- annoying for asking the wrong uh, <laughs> questions. But then it, when I was flat out buried, uh, stories uh, were published in the paper about what happened, and it only had the version of the cops, and it didn't have our version or my attorney's version, and I worked there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then uh, the uh, uh, the staff, uh, uh, the management brought in representatives of the police to speak to the entire newsroom about uh, police journalism relations <laughs> after this happened. My, this is, before, you're thinking this takes some real hot spot. Before my trial came yeah. along, and I was told I was not allowed to go to the meeting, and then in the meeting, one of my colleagues, uh, who was neither for or against me, she, she was a, a, a nice uh, woman, but she flat out, I was like, are we going to really? And she actually didn't have any grandstanding. She was just like, what is this BS? I mean, I, like, are we going to ignore the 400 pound gorilla in the room? Mm-hmm. And the cops in the room f- just flat out said I was wrong and they were right. And we didn't push back. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this. And there was to the many people wouldn't say it publicly, but after that, privately, they people would come up to me and say, wow like this is not that's the problem this they came is, up to you privately yeah yeah didn't say is, anything publicly this is not yeah okay yeah um so that was uh and that's why the same thing would happen to them now because they didn't speak up publicly when they had the chance yeah yeah, yeah. and so now we look at what journalism overall i mean it was obviously trending in the, in that direction but what it has become now uh, is simply orwellian well, that's why if you want to know where real journalism is actually still happening in America, look at last night. Glenn Beck laid out how the Biden crime family's staggering level of corruption has just continued to go unpunished in a viral special called The Reckoning. And during that show, even outlined a plan to hold the Bidens accountable for their crimes. But it requires each of us listening to take action in order for it to work. You can head over to the reckoning the reckoning right now, download our Biden crime family dossier. This guide contains a list of hundreds of crimes. The Bidens appear to have committed as well as the contact information of the prosecutors and attorneys general with the power to bring them to justice. You can join us in demanding that these officials take action and prosecute these crimes. And so that together we can wage a public pressure campaign so great they can't ignore us. Again, that's the reckoning guide dot com that's the reckoning guide dot com and you can please join us uh in calling on these state officials to finally enforce the law the reckoning guide dot com you know another black pill moment i probably should have brought up that was even before that should have been the black pill moment that that was even before goldman fact um hey here's a video of granola crunchers haggling over the price of dead baby body parts oh yes and then oh. mitch mcconnell and senate leadership i see I'll, no i see nothing i know nothing yeah i still remember in the old building you me and rebecca mm-hmm. when the news and we convinced we that this at was the moment yep like this can't stand. No. We we are we are watching 
the shibboleth right. of the dam collapsed right. right here. Yeah, we were convinced. Yeah. I mean, I go back to 04 again. I was convinced that the success Mel Gibson had basically bankrolling the passion and distributing mm-hmm. it by himself yeah. Yeah, yeah. to become the highest uh, earning independent film of all time yeah. would, would, would have Hollywood studios combing through the scriptures looking for you know, biblically based movies to capitalize yeah. on this audience. Instead, what they did is uh, they made a Noah movie where, uh, that essentially remade The Shining with Noah as, as Jack. Uh, and um, and and then they made uh, remade the Ten Commandments with Moses yeah. as a paranoid schizophrenic and and God as an eight year old bratty kid. They did that instead. God and then people wonder why we are the way we are. Yes, this entire conversation, God is bound and determined to like. Do you even Romans one, bro? Yeah, <laughs> honestly, time, time is a flat one. circle. I mean, you look at you look at um, gain of function research that created uh, one way or another created what we saw during COVID. What's a main instrument in gain of function research? It's how do you find whether or not the virus you've been manipulating is gaining the function you're trying to find? Mm-hmm. You test it on humanized mice. How do you humanize a mouse? Dead baby body parts. That's, yeah. that's how you do it. That, that, that is All of these it. things interplay. Yeah. I'm sad now. It's dark. That is... We started off talking about great movies, and <laughs> here we are. Maybe I should have saved Steve's question for another time, maybe. We'll be back in a moment. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show. If you are looking for alternatives for your child's schooling, look no further than our friends over at Freedom Project Education. They started and created Freedom Project Academy, and I can give you a firsthand account to how well they run their school because my son Noah went to it for a couple of years. And I know the people who started it because we were fighting back against Common Core back in the day together as well. They have created and perfected online learning with live on-demand uh, homeschool instruction grades K through 12 built on Judeo-Christian values in a classical curriculum. What does that mean? It means your kids are taught how to think, not what to think. Mastery of subject matter, not indoctrinated so that later on they can be subjects to be mastered. All right. If you want to sign up today, you've got two options. You can say, you know what? That sounds great. I've already looked at the free packet or I've thought about it in past years. Time to go for it now. 10% off your tuition if you do that and enroll today. 10% off your tuition if you do that and enroll today at freedomforschool.com, F-O-R, freedomforschool.com. Or if you're still thinking and you want to know a little bit more, get a free information packet as well at freedomforschool.com. Once again, that's freedomforschool.com. Stephanie wants to know, what would a potential DeSantis, as we continue on with Feedback Friday, what would a potential DeSantis RFK Jr. election campaign look like if they were chosen by the two parties? Completely unrecognizable to anything you have seen in this country in at least 30 years, if not longer. An actual contest of ideas with the least amount of personalities and personal attacks you could possibly imagine. And both of the visions that they would articulate would be somewhat edifying for the future. So we would really, it wouldn't feel like if one person wins and the other side loses, then we're over. It would really be two people who earnestly have a lot of the right instincts and are disgusted by a lot of the same things that just have a different worldview and system of solutions into what what 
to do and what is the antidote to those things. The kind of thing that a healthy, the kind of election, in other words, that a healthy country would have. Not the one that God, that Todd just said, God looks at us and says, do you even Romans one, bro? I, I just, it wouldn't be recognizable. I just, it would not be recognizable. I don't think people would even know what to do with it. I'm not sure we would know. I'm not sure what we would know, what we would know what to do with it. All right, this is from Ben, who writes, I would like to say I am sure our kids will say the same of us, but after 10 years of marriage, it would appear God has decided that our options are much more limited than we thought. We decided to wait for a few years after being married to try and increase our family size, primarily because we were dirt poor and trying to pay off college debt. We didn't know that trying to exert control through hormones would cause my wife to have a continuing battle with migraines and imitate seizures and intensity and system and, and symptoms. Any financial progress we made was eaten up by these medical bills and the riot and the rapid rise of housing costs in the last decade. Every time we have moved, it has been for good reasons, but it does not stop the feeling that we keep ripping a part of ourselves off every time we try to set roots in an area and church before God moves us somewhere else. I am a mechanical engineer, so I can't claim a career that would normally require moving around so often. Our dream that we thought was from God working in our hearts together from when we were dating was to work with each other, to work with other people's youth together. And then one day switch our focus to raising our children and hope that we could still minister to youth through that process. There have been other dreams of things like moving toward owning enough land to use for gathering and farming and hunting, but I don't see how that will happen. But even with our heart for youth, our desire to increase our family has always been higher. We had been saving as much as possible in an HSA for the last few years and blew through it all in less than 18 months going to a fertility doctor. You rightly speak often of men being the leader in the home. So after all that preface, I want to ask this question. How do I lead my wife when our hearts break every month over a dream we both have had before we even met? How do I lead a family when almost every attempt we have made to better ourselves, children, finance, career, housing, church, seems to end with us further from almost everything we thought God wanted us to do? I know we have the hope of eternity, but how do I lead today? How do I lead when it feels like the most important way we can impact the world is moving farther and farther away? I have a thought on this. Do you want to chime in on this first? Uh, well, I was going to echo what you've said many things uh none none of your plans there as far as i can see seem anything that are out of whack out of balance you should feel guilty about um anything like that but i would say something that steve has said many times in quoting uh one of the greats of bible be still and await the coming of the Lord. I, you're just, I think it's time for you and your wife to just be still, be quiet, not think about plans, not think about the future other than to give it over utterly and completely to God and trust him in whatever that means. We... We talked uh, on the show just this week about the modern American condition that affects us all, even if we're Orthodox believers. Our, the, uh, the, the, the meism, the comfort, the myopicness that can get in. And we have the ability, because we've had the ability more than any other time in history to really make plans for ourselves, we don't just have to go along with the tide, that we've forgotten that it's an important skill set to have to be able to 
go along with the tide. Not in the sense what everybody, not be a sheep, do what everybody else is doing, but like sometimes life comes at you pretty fast, bro. And you've got to be nimble. You've got to know that your plans are, I mean, this is Gandalf, you know, all, all we can do is, but choose. He gives that lecture to Frodo when Frodo's losing hope, but to live in the times that we have. So I would, just as Moses told his people when they were staying, I would just be still and await the coming of the Lord and trust that we are guaranteed that that works and you will not be disappointed. There was, uh, Ben, there was, there was once a very uh, successful physician and him and his wife tried mightily over and over again to have children. And they could not. And so they eventually gave up, just thought it wasn't the Lord's plan for them and decided to pursue adoption with what at the time was a new agency called Bethany Christian Services. And they, uh, they found a young, they found a, a baby there who had been given up for adoption by her teenage mother who had conceived her um, as a result of assault. And the, the parents tried multiple times to take her to, this was pre-Roe v. Wade, so they had tried multiple times to take her to a, a back alley abortionist, for lack of a better description, to have this child killed, and various circumstances conspired that it just, it never happened despite three attempts to make it happen. They finally sent her away to have the baby and she gave it up for adoption to this new adoption agency in Michigan. Uh, that, that baby, they adopted that uh, child and named her Mary. They then went on and had five children the old-fashioned way. Mary went on to get married to a soldier in the 101st Airborne named Robert. They had one child and named her Amy. That is my wife. Jake from Michigan writes, I wanted to reach out and say I too became a Christian at 30. I grew up in a Christian household, but my father was absent and more interested in drugs rather than raising a son. I never fully grasped or cared to learn about being a Christian and liked doing what I pleased. In 2019, as a father to a three-year-old son and a husband, my world fell apart. My wife was having an affair. We would divorce and she would use child protective services to try to take my son away from me. Enter COVID and it greatly hindered my ability to lawfully fight my case in a court of law because the world was put on pause. As I contemplated my end, I heard God for the first time. He directed me to my Bible, to the book of Job, and I'm sure you can see why he did. He also had told me about the incoming jab before its existence and to avoid it at all costs. He then blessed me with 50-50 custody of my son. I tried not to make this long, but I need your help. I still hold some addictions I brought upon myself that I'm struggling to break free from and I prayed very hard on. I believe in the power of prayer and wanted the listeners to pray for me if they are able. I'm ashamed I've been blessed and know the truth, but can't have the self-control to just stop what my flesh desires. Thank you and keep up the good fight. I am doing everything I can to get nefarious in, in local theaters uh, here in town. That is from Jake in Michigan. Well, I know we have a lot of prayer warriors in the, off, in the audience, so please pray for Jake. But Jake, the man who wrote most of the New Testament... Paul wrote a very similar lament to yours and he didn't write about it in 
a past tense. I used to have this thorn in my flesh, but it's gone now, and mm-hmm. I'm like totally righteous, so follow me. That's not what he said. Didn't write about it in a future tense. Right now, I'm, right now I'm good. But in the future, should I have some things in my life that I'm not proud of? Maybe here's how I'll choose to handle it. Mm-hmm. He wrote about it in the present tense. Meaning he was enduring these thorns in his flesh at the very time that God was utilizing him. Powerfully. Arguably as powerfully as he has used any singular mere mortal in the New Testament era and the world that followed. Now, why do I bring that up? Because when, not if, when you finally move aside and move away from the things that your flesh craves now, it will crave other things later. There is no, he who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of its completion. If you want to know, Jake, when you're going to stop being tempted and craving the things your flesh desires, it's when they put you in the grave. I had a pastor tell me years ago uh, that he went to the retirement party of a pastor that really mentored him and he greatly respected. And he was married to the same woman for like 60 years and they were there together. And he, it blew his mind when this pastor got up and said, I look around this room at the men that the Lord, the men and the families that the Lord all these years allowed me to have an impact with and used me to, to preach the kingdom of God to knowing that almost every day of my adult life, I struggled with some form of in my flesh was some form of lust. And my wife and I had to walk through that the entire 60 years of our marriage. And it just blew his mind because he put this guy on such a pedestal and thought he was basically perfect. We are not called to be perfect. We're called to be perfect as he is perfect. Meaning we rely on his perfection, not our own. There is no one, literally no one, Jake, within the sound of my voice that is not struggling with something that their flesh craves and desires that they know is wrong. No one. Because there is no one within the sound of my voice that is not a human being. This is not to say to not seek out after holiness, to not seek purity or accountability. I'm not saying that. What I sense in your voice, though, is some futility. I promise you, God never speaks to you in a voice of futility. That never happens. That Bible verse that they're going to use, every homeschool kid and Christian school kid's going to use this time of year that we're always mocking, Mm -hmm. okay? Because it's taken out of context, but if you put it in its in it in its in its right context, it is actually very important. Yes. In the midst of this dramatic judgment, God is going to scatter his people for 70 years, almost two full generations. He will scatter into captivity or disperse. And even in the midst of that, he still says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future, plans to prosper you. God never speaks in futility. So I bring you glad tidings of great joy, Jake. When and if the time comes that you finally move away from whatever your current thorn in the flesh is, there will be another. That is the human condition. The choice before us as we are in the sanctification process is, will we listen to the voice of futility? Because it's true. 
What it says is true from a certain point of view. You are unworthy of the calling you have received. You are unworthy of the grace you have been shown. You are unworthy of being used by such by the only holy and complete being in all of the universe. You are unworthy of all of those things. That's why it is so tempting to listen to being told we're unworthy. We know it's true. That's why God is good. So Jake, get off your butt. And this is for everybody else with a thorn in their flesh, which means literally everybody else. Get up and start serving the kingdom of God. And you'll want to know when you're going to not be tempted by those thorns in your flesh. When you're serving the kingdom of God. If you're on a beach somewhere, man, in some third world country, handing out fresh water and food to people who are looking at you like you just invented the semiconductor microchip in their presence. You know what you're not thinking of at that moment? Whatever the thorn is in your flesh, man, whatever it is, you're not thinking of it in that moment. Get out of your own head and get into the kingdom of God and just serve. The more you serve, the less those things matter. It's when we're idle. It's when we're on our own. It's when we get into our own thoughts. It's when we get into our own head. All right. That's when the dog returns to its own vomit. Let me see if I can find one here that is very quick. And I don't know that I can. David Horvath writes, I've been hearing through some family and friends that some Christians answer to fighting evil is simply God is coming and they will do nothing to fight evil. I know the Lord is coming, but we as believers must do all we can to make disciples of all nations. And this may mean going against evil. Ask your friends how it glorifies God to not stand up against evil. Ask your friends how it magnifies the greatness of the Lord to not present him as an antidote to evil. Ask your friends how it uh, attracts people to the light to not contrast it as the hope against the dark. Ask your friends those questions. And they'll have very stupid answers. You've seen that meme, I'm sure, of the guy in the boat, and he sees somebody going down under the water. He rows up to him, says to the guy who's about to drown, God got you, and then moves on. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, but that's, that's a better way of putting everything. That's better than what I just said, actually. It's all the more yes. amazing for, the, for people who are, they claim to be biblical. The entire narrative of the Old Testament is God coming to people totally unequipped in preposterous circumstances. Just do what I tell you, and it's going to be good. I mean, that's it. And yet, at the end of that tale, in its fulfillment with Christ, this is the assessment? Sit back, do nothing? I mean, literally, a woman is getting gang raped. You're on your front lawn preaching the gospel. Ignore the gang rape. I've got something to say. You know, I I just. John 370. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.